Well, as they are leaving, we uh, have a special treat. Um, hello, I am Brian. I'm the lead pastor here at Element City Church. And earlier you saw Jack. He's our teaching pastor. But I get the privilege of announcing tonight we give David Porter is coming to give our message tonight. Yeah. And uh, he has a new title, and he hates titles, which is, this is even better that I get to do this. And so he is coming on staff at Element City Church um, as the equipping pastor. Absolutely. Him and his wife, Tiffany, have, um, yeah, give it up for Tiffany. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Tiffany is in the house. And she's all of like five feet one. It's awesome. That's what's funny about it. But what Dave and Tiffany can bring is what we've been praying for. Where they bring a spirit and a knowledge of discipleship and prayer that is crucial, crucial to the transformation of us as individuals, us as a church, and our community and how God uses us. And so it is super exciting to see when they teach us how to di- when they teach us how to disciple and when they're teaching us how to pray and we're moving together in oneness what the community is going to look like and the territory that has been taken the territory has been taken away on how we as a church are going to take it back and claim it for the holy spirit can i brag on god for a minute i've been trying to memorize this all afternoon and my brain's not allowing me to do it so god when we started elements at pantano we had the opportunity to bring two churches together to plant in Midtown. And guess what? That was remarkable. Because in Tucson, I've been here a long time, and some of you may be also, it doesn't happen. Churches don't play well with others. They don't. And so it was an awesome opportunity to see how God opened that up and that mission to see how two churches could come together to plant a body of people in the middle of Tucson. And guess what? That was Element City Church. And guess what? God said, I'm not done. I'm not done with Element City Church. I'm not done with Pantano or Cassis. I want to bring another piece to that picture. And now we're going to merge Element City Church and Vineyard City Church together to impact the world and the kingdom here in Midtown. It's all about furthering his kingdom. It's not about each one of our titles. It's not about what we do. It's about seeing God's glory and kingdom come here in Midtown. In Philippians, Paul talked about the unity in the spirit with one purpose, standing together and fighting for the faith to bring the good news to all his people. One purpose, standing together, fighting for one faith, so that we can bring the good news of Jesus. Being obedient to the oneness of what he's talking about is what brings radical change and unity. The obedience of unity. All together, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ coming together in unity to see what the Holy Spirit's gonna do through us through an impact. So that we can bring a hope and a light of Jesus into our world, and into Midtown. And that's why Element City Church is here saying, Lord, use us. Use us. And so now we get to hear from, um, I just wanted to say that, just so if you haven't been with us, that you get to know kind of where, a little bit of a history, and where we're going. God's got a, God's got a marked spirit on us. 
not just because we're Element City Church or we think we're cool. It's because we're children of a mighty, mighty king. And we can act and function in that way to bring the glory and the hope and the light of Tucson, to Tucson. So I, is David behind me? No, he's over there lurking in the shadows. For the first time, guys, I would just, you are in for a treat, and it's great to have Dave Porter going to give us our message tonight. I hope you didn't just sing those songs. I hope that was the heart cry that you have deep down, that it's sincere, that it's true. Jesus said, when you come to him, he's going to put in you rivers of living water. And we fall short of that often. And it's because we don't continually pursue him in worship and in prayer and in just a heart's desire to love him with everything that we are. When we do that, his promises are always sure. They're always fulfilled and you walk with joy and you walk with freedom and you walk with love and forgiveness and it's awesome. We are his people and he is our God, amen? Amen. Father, tonight we ask you to wake us up. We ask you to open our eyes to all that is available in Jesus Christ. Open our eyes to what you have done and open our eyes to what you want to do today in Midtown Tucson. It is so much more than elements. It is so much more than us. It is a kingdom vision and we ask you to lift our eyes up to your heart's passion for this city and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Brian asked me, uh, hey, just share on your passion. And uh, instantly a lot of things were starting to run through my mind. And there's a saying that says, passion is not found, it's built. If you think about that, anything in your life that you've devoted yourself a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of effort, you become passionate about that thing. And so we're going to talk about passion tonight and how that's built. Um, and it's going to explain a lot about who I am as a person and what God's done in my life. Uh, we're going to start off, first of all, again, just history in general intrigues me. And history matters, right? History matters. There's all kinds of sayings about the importance of history. If you don't study it, you're bound to repeat uh, the bad things in history. So we study it, we learn it in order to understand a path forward. And so history matters. And I'm going to give a quick story about a, a man named Hiru Onada. He was a Japanese soldier in World War II. And what happens when historical events happen and then people don't know it? or they don't believe it, or they don't respond to it in a right way. Hiru is one of those individuals. He was about 22 years old when he was shipped off uh, to a Philippine island, and he, they suffered a tremendous defeat by the Americans, and he and four others were left surviving, and they fled to the hills to basically conduct guerrilla warfare in any way and however they could. In October of 1945, leaflets began to fly out of the sky. And they read them and it said that the war was over. But they thought it was a lie. They didn't believe the reports. 
And so at the end of 45, now leaflets begin to be sent again. This time, it was a letter from the general himself. And again, they looked at it, they studied it, and they decided, nope, the allies are trying to lie to us. So they stayed in the hills, and they continued to do uh, guerrilla-type warfare. This went on for a long time. In 1950, now five or more years after the war, uh, one guy left, and when he finally got out, he sent word back again. So in October, then during at 52, family pictures this time were being dropped with family letters written to him to say, hey, the war's over, come home, we miss you. Didn't believe it. Continued to fight. 1972, October, this hippie, I didn't know Japanese got into the hippie movement, but evidently they did. And there was one Japanese hippie named Suzuki. And he was going on a quest. And here's his quest in this uh, order of importance. He wanted to see and find if this guy really exists named Onada. Then he wanted to find a panda bear. Then he wanted to find an abominable snowman. But number one on his list was Onada. Like, are you serious? If this guy really exists, this is the person I want to find. So he goes to the island where he was reported to have been, and in 1974, in March, he found him. Sat down, talked with him, told him the whole story. I mean, this is now 29 years later, and he still wouldn't come out. He wanted to get his own, uh, the guy who had trained him to come and relieve him personally of his duties. And this man eventually came, and when he relieved him of his duties, two of the things that he had with him was a sword. <laughs> he was fighting with a sword and a dagger that his mom had given him in order to kill himself in case he was going to be captured. Changed his whole life. People died during this time. He killed people. Uh, he, there was times of starvation. All kinds of things. And all the buddies that had stayed with him, they had all died through this 29 years. All because something in history had happened that was significant. He heard about it, but he did not respond properly. History matters. And finally, I wanted to show this, that how history shapes us. History shapes every one of you. In fact, history shapes the way many of you parent. Okay, and up on, up on the board here, here are some famous quotes I'm sure all of you are familiar with, right? So the silent generation, the one before the boomers, there was an often parenting value that said kids, you've all heard this, right? Kids are to be seen and not heard. Maybe some of you boomers uh, grew up hearing that all the time. Then boomers got, you know, because again, the silent years generation, they had been living through war that whole time. And it was just about survival. There had been a lot of loss. There had been a lot of death. And it was just like not a time to play. And so it's like, kids, you need to do what you're told and be quiet. And the boomers grew up under that. And as now the wars are over and they begin to experience economic uh, prosperity, right, the history is changing. And all of a sudden now this generation said, I want to give my kids more than I had. And so they experienced that. And then Gen X comes along kind of in that, in that stream of history, and they realize, oh, we're the first generation where mom and dad are divorcing. Why? Because they're both working all the time, go, 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 get it, get it, get it, in order to give us more than they had. And we grew up realizing 
we just want our kids to be happy because we realize our family's not really happy. We have a lot of stuff now, but we're not happy. And then the next generation comes along and they see that there's no purpose. It's just trying to be happy. And so they say, I want my kids to know who they are and this whole idea of identity and purpose and, and living out your dreams. See, you didn't just come up with these ideas on your own, parents. You were shaped by the culture and the culture is shaped by historical events. Now, what I'm really passionate about, and of course, the, the last generation, they don't even know if they want kids yet. So, you know, they're still trying to figure that out. The history that has really shaped me and that really matters to me and that burns in my heart with passion is what we would call sacred history, the very history of God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it quite like this. Like, I'm not a religious guy. I'm a history guy. And if God himself has actually acted in history, then de facto it becomes the most important historical events ever to hit the planet. Ending of World War II was huge. It affected millions of people. But when God decided to act in the earth, it affected everyone. First act of God, and of course there's others, but the first one I want to talk about is the very incarnation of God himself. Now, it's one thing that God became man. That's enough of a historical fact, shocker, that just should boggle the mind. But it's so much deeper. And it's this history that matters. It's this history that should shape you. The fact that the creator God humbled himself. Now get that. If you believe in the God who had revealed himself, guess what you would do? Everywhere you go, you would incarnate yourself. And you would come with humility and you would come looking to serve rather than to be served. You see, the incarnation is not just some miracle. It's not just some historical fact. It's a historical fact that happened that revealed the very nature of humanity, the very nature and purpose of life, the very nature of God himself. He revealed himself as a man so that he could show himself as true God. And he, how did he come? Did he come separate from man? You know, he kind of built an outpost and said, all right, if you want the wisdom and knowledge, come to me. Right? We do that. We want people to come to us in our comfort. But he says, no, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to go among them. He incarnated himself into humanity, into the cities, into the villages, into homes, into families, into the mess. He sought out the mess and he incarnated himself. Not to tell them that they're wrong, but to love them, to serve them, to give their, his life for them. See, if you understand this historical event, it will shape you in the way you look at life. When you get a new job, how do you look at it? Do you look at it as an opportunity to incarnate yourself? To bring Christ and the way he thinks and the way he feels and the way he loves into that place and looks to serve or do you look to see what benefits you can gain? There's all kinds of things that we can learn by this historical event called the incarnation. I'm going I'm to move on. I could spend days on that subject. But I want to talk now about the life that he actually lived. And again, that history is God himself revealing who he is. 
We don't understand who God is because we're constantly seeking after power, position, riches, ease, things that are easy, things that are comfortable, things that entertain us. That's not what he came seeking. He came seeking the lost. If you want to have purpose, if you want to understand God, then you've got to enter into the story of God. His history now becomes our history. And the more we study it and understand it, then we know how to live it out, not just in the acts, but in the very heart and the very nature of who God is. So these historical events that God himself did in order to show and reveal the truth of what life is all about. So he came and he lived. How did he come and lived? Well, one of the things that he did was, first of all, he fasted for 40 days. What, what's up with that? What, what's up with humbling yourself? What's up with causing yourself pain? What does he know that we don't know? He knows the only way to walk before God is to walk before him humbly. And so he sought that right out of the gate. When he was born, he was born in humble circumstances. And for 30 years, he was quiet. He worked, he served, he loved, and he put himself at great risk all the time. And then when he finally decided to come out and publicly begin to show forth who God is, he started off by fasting humbling himself, putting himself through a self-denial so that when he would call others to follow him, what's his saying? If you're going to follow me, you must first deny yourself now. Take up your cross and follow me. Because it's in losing your life that you now find life. And we always think to find life, you got to seek life. But no, life is found when you seek death to self. I love Paul's uh, quote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. This is, all, this is amazing. And this moves us on to why he died. It says, Christ died for all. That those who live, anybody here living? Raise your hand. You're all the people that are living. Christ died that those who are living should quit living for themselves and live for the one who died for them and was raised. The whole purpose of the cross is to get us to quit chasing life as we want it. Getting what we want, how we want, and if I ever get it all, you can be sure that I have oppressed others and made others feel ashamed or lesser than. And so man is at war. Man is violent toward each other to gain control and gain power and to get what I want because I'm living for me. But the only way that there is unity, the only way that love grows truly, the only way God's kingdom and will gets done in the earth is when we all decide I'm going to prefer others above myself. I'm going to humble myself. The whole purpose of my life is nothing but humbling myself and serving other people. When you take on that calling, when you take on that purpose, guess what? Nobody can stop you. If you try to get to the top, there's always plenty of other people trying to tear you down. But if you go to the bottom, don't nobody want to join you there. You stand alone, free. Nobody wants your position 
because you've become the servant of all. That's the way to freedom. When you're on the top, you're always afraid of going down. When you've got plenty of money, you're always afraid of losing that money. But when you lose it all, you got nothing else to lose. And that's when you become free. We sang that song. Whom the Son has set free. How does he set us free? When we decide to die to self and live for him. That's the way. Why did he die? To bring this atonement. To cover us in everything that we are so that we would no longer live for ourselves but live for him. Now what about the resurrection? I think this is very misunderstood. This historical act. People think, well, you know, it's a story of Jesus coming back to life and, you know, and some people said they saw him and, you know, it's kind of a miracle. That's not what the resurrection is. The resurrection is new creation. The old creation died at the cross. God said once and for all, I'm done with that. And if anyone remains in that creation, they will die. But if you come to me and you live in the power of the new creation, the resurrection. In other words, Jesus, he uh, prayed for some people that were dead and they came back to life. That's not resurrection. Resurrection is when Jesus was raised back to life, but his body had been absolutely transformed. Full of light, full of love, incorruptible now incorruptible in mind in heart he was tempted before now he can no longer be tempted he is incorruptible man and the promise is that you too can share in that incorruption it's not just forgiveness of sin it's coming to a place where sin has no place in you that's where freedom is found when it no longer pulls at your heart strings because your heart is fully one to him it is resurrected life. Paul says this one thing I seek, to know him and the power of this resurrection, to make me a new creation that this world has not known or seen before, but it's longing for. Everyone is longing for somebody to step up to the plate and walk in humility and walk in love and lead a way that leads to righteousness, truth, and justice. You are those people. Don't look to anyone else. You are God's chosen people. And he always chooses the humble. He chooses the broken. He, he chooses the poor. So don't look to somebody with more talent. Don't look to somebody who has a higher position. Look to Christ, the author and the perfecter of your faith. He showed you the way. He came and he lived among them. He served and he gave his life as a ransom. And then he came and was resurrected. New creation has begun. The old creation is fading away and the new creation is dawning on us even to this day. This is historical fact. You can believe it. You cannot believe it. But if it is true, this changes everything. No longer now are we to live for ourselves. No longer now do we look at one another the same. So I see you now as a completely changed human being. You may not be all the way there yet, but I know who we are and I know the God in whom we serve and what he's doing inside of us. And then finally, the ascension. What the heck is that? The apostles said they were witnesses. 
And if you read through the book of Acts, the two things that they said they witnessed to the most was the resurrection and the ascension. What is that? In other words, heaven's window was opened up and they literally saw Jesus, the one true recreated man, because God had created man to rule over his creation and we threw that responsibility down the drain. And Jesus came to restore humanity back to that rightful position of ruling over all of God's creation. And you can see, to this day, we make a muck of it. But the ascension was the promise and the reality and the historical fact that Jesus has now sat on the throne. He now has all power and authority over heaven and earth. And he's calling us to a recreation project that he will one day consummate. But before the day of consummation, he's going to see, what will you do with the spirit I give you? His first order on the throne was to send the Holy Spirit. The one who would reveal him and how he had lived. He's going to be the one to teach you. He's going to be the one to refine you like a refiner's fire. He's going to be the one to teach you to be holy as he is holy. He's going to put a passion in you to serve and not to be served. He sends forth that spirit, and then he looks. What will they do with the gift that I've given them? The gift of God himself dwelling in you like he dwelled in the temple. You remember the priests, right? When they would enter into the holiest of holies, they had to be utmost reverential and make sure they did exactly what God had called them to do, lest they literally die in the presence of God. Guess where that dwelling happens at today? In you and among us. Every thought, word, and deed is being done in the holiest of holies. In that place where God sees everything. Do you get it? The gravity of the moment. And therefore we cry out, God, purify my heart. You see it. Set me free, God, because I'm still trying to serve myself. And now you begin to build passion because you're throwing logs on the fire. Take this. Take this. Take it all, God. Take it all from me so that I can be free and I can be pure. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. Until your heart is purified, you really can't see and know God very well at all because self is so cluttering your view. But when self is removed, then we see him high and lifted up. We see him for who he really is and how he lived his life. And we say, I want to follow him. That's what discipleship is. It's seeing all of this and saying, I want to be like God. Jesus said this, truly, truly, I say to you all, all of you who believe, anybody here believe in Jesus? He's, he's talking to you now. Now get this, all who believe the works that I do, you will do also. So what happens if you're not doing the works Jesus said we would do? There's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's an uncomfortable rub there, isn't there? He said, so I've got either the one, option A, Jesus is a liar. Well, I don't like that option very well. Option two, I'm a hypocrite. I don't like that option very well. So why don't we seek the Father and say, Father, send us the Holy Spirit. 
that we might do the works that Jesus did. And guess what happens when we do that? We begin to do those works. We begin to see God do things beyond our imagination, beyond our strength, beyond our abilities. He begins to make us one. Well, let's have a bunch of meetings about unity. And it never comes. But if we would call on him in humility, and we would call on him in this way, we would just find that every person we meet in the body of Christ, we'd be like, man, I just feel like I'm one with them. Because we're, our oneness is found in Christ. It's not found in events. It's not found in meetings. It's found in the spirit that he has freely given to us all. And when we're all walking in the spirit, we feel like we're all walking together. But the moment self gets in the picture, now the competing things begin to happen. And so you can't, you can't blame it on anybody. It's not about meetings. It's not about organization. It's not about none of that. It's about whether we've allowed him to do a work in our hearts. And to so fill us with the Spirit that we're just like, wow, look at all these beautiful people. Look at all these beautiful people. I can't help but love. I can't help but serve. Even if you mistreat me, even if you become my enemy, I can't help but just love you. And that's got to make some people mad. Can we make some people mad by just loving them to death? Find irritating people, find grumpy people, and just love on them. This is what you're called to. You're called to this irritating calling of loving and serving others in the midst of a selfish world. Do you get it? What would happen if we really did love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What would that really look like? I don't know about you, but I sometimes wonder when the disciples were engaging Jesus on that issue, were they so in love with him that they're like, okay, Jesus, all these things you've taught us, okay, how do we do all this? We love you so much that we want to make sure we do it all. Was it in that context that he then looked at them and spoke to them and said, listen, you're getting all, getting all wrapped up and stuff. If you love me, you're going to keep these commandments. You see the radical shift there? Rather than, oh, we better do what God wants, so therefore if we really love God, we better do these things. Rather what's happened is he's already captivated our hearts. We already are fully in love with him, and now we're getting so busy wanting to do what he wants us to do that we get lost, and then he has to call us back and say, hey, slow it down and just get back to knowing if you love me, you're going to do this stuff. You're going to do the works that I've called you to do. So rather than trying to go out and do the works, come before him, humble yourself, and say, Lord, let my whole heart be captivated by you. Let all of my desires and all of my imagination be centered on you all the day long. Let you be the one thing that I seek. Seek ye first the kingdom and everything else will be taken care of. Die to self, and you will live this abundant life. Fall in love again and again and again with the who Jesus is and the ways of Jesus and the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus. And when you're full of love, you can't help but obey. You get how that works? It's called grace. It's called mercy. And it's called the only way we love is when he first loves us. 
So go deep in prayer. Go deep in worship. And go deep in humility. Because history matters. It shapes us. And when you allow it to shape you, the history of Jesus to shape you, you'll begin to make new history, new creation. New life will begin to be born everywhere we go and with everything we do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Are you kidding me, God? You're promising us this? to do the works that Jesus did? Have we forgotten? Is it, is it, are you kidding me? This is the honor. This is the privilege. This is the inheritance that you have as you are in the saints. And Paul prays, oh, I wish that every believer would understand the inheritance they have. And the inheritance that we have is to become like Jesus. And to do the works of Jesus. Let us now worship him. Not just sing songs. But from the depth of our heart cry out, Lord, have your way in me. In Jesus' name, amen.